Listeners, again, before we get into the main Patreon ad, I want to remind you that we are booking guests for the spring and the rest of the year. So if you have a story and would like to be a guest, or you know of somebody who would be great for us to have on, send us an email at whatthehellisapastor at gmail.com and uh, we'll get it started. We'll do it. You can also contact us on our socials, which is Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Though I did get a TikTok this week, and if I can figure it out, maybe we'll do a TikTok. Oh my gosh, I... Wouldn't even know where to begin. Would not even know where to start. I mean, we started an Instagram and I was like, I guess it's time to do that the other thing the youths are doing. <laughs> That's right. We gotta get the get gotta get the next generation involved. I guess. <laughs> or something. <laughs> Who knows? Guests are great. You should send in your guests. But besides the guests, we would like to thank our supporters on Patreon. That is Nick, Justin, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Sam, Jory, Shelley, Tara, Rachel, Abby, the Reverends, Langenstein, and Annalise. Your money makes this show happen. It does. It truly does. If you also want to help make the show happen, you can join our supporters over at patreon.com slash WTHIAP. I promised Patreon-only bonus content this week in the Patreon feed, but then I fell down the stairs and broke my butt, and so I could not edit it. It's one of those things. Iron butts. <laughs> that's, that's what I need. Um, but my butt is getting better, so there will be bonus content this week for sure. There is also always the Patreon-only podcast that Ian and I record, which is called Pillow Talk. Uh, last week, as kind of a companion episode to the He Gets Us ad conversation that Ethan and Ian and I had, Ian and I just went through like five of the episodes, the the videos, and kind of talked about how each one failed. So it's a good time. It, it was good. I listened to it. I liked it. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also rate and review and subscribe and share us on social media uh, or just keep listening because that is good too. Yes, it is. And now here's the show. <laughs> One, two, five, nine. Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life in set-apart ministry. Each week, we draw on our experiences and challenges as current and former pastors to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Hi, listeners. Just a little bit of context before the episode. We found the full post that was screenshotted in the tweet that we saw shared from the Progressive Methodist Facebook group. And it turns out that the original post was written by a humanist. So every time that you hear us critiquing this person for being a Christian in this episode, throw it out. Jim Palmer, the author of the post, is a humanist chaplain. And so he's welcome to critique us in any way that he wants to. We're leaving the episode up because we think there is still some good critique for how Christians think about some of the ideas brought up in the episode. And so that's why it's here. But we will link to the original post so you can see it and see the conversation and have that full context. Just know that we didn't know uh, and enjoy the episode. So listeners, we're we're still talking about the Asbury revival because it's still happening. And Ethan, I don't know if you have experience with uh, these kind of big evangelical worship services 
just a little bit like like kind of off to the side like in my experience with like christian music festivals and mm. stuff like that nothing nothing like this though not not quite like this so you have you ever gone to like a big conference like rock in the baltimore washington conference or um oh god have you ever been to like I'm going to guess the answer is no. I've been to a bunch of conferences that are like focused around like worship. And so I've been to one where they had in Atlanta where they had like John Piper preaching and they have David Crowder band and they had um, that one like Australian band who only does worship song, like records live worship albums. Anyway, I I have Hillsong. I have been to rock. I've been to okay. Rock one time when I was interning uh, at Chevy Chase. Uh, they made they made me go to Rock, and I'll never forgive them for it. Um, <laughs> I went twice as as an intern at a ministry church, and the kids love it because you're going like you're going to the beach, even though it's winter. You're going to the beach. They're like seeing people they don't get to see. You know, like mm-hmm. they have a fun time, completely separate from the content of the conference. Was my experience with it. Right. Same here. Same here. But you know the like the Saturday night cry session, come to Jesus, altar call, worship service, right? I do. I'm familiar. It's um, it's such a staple, <laughs> and it happened like a version of it happens at like every retreat that I've ever been on. Um, they do it at ordination services too, where they have a like if you're feeling a call to ministry, like come up. But the whole service is designed for you to think like, oh, what this, what it, what a good thing it is for me to give my life to Jesus or devote my life to the church. I am going to come up because I feel an emotion that is leading me forward. Right. This is how I got saved. Right. There was this guy who was uh, who did karate and also was a saved evangelical and he did a thing at my church. This was the first time that I had seen anything like that. I'm like 12, 13. Um, and uh, he did like the altar call. And I'm like, this seems to be the thing that we are supposed to do. I will go up and get saved. Uh, so I did. And that's, you know, how I know I'm getting into heaven. Yeah, and, um, and one thing led to another. <laughs> and here I am. So I already, when I hear the word revival, I assume that this is what it is, is it's in that that mode of like, the goal here is to like Billy Graham save souls for Jesus. I wonder though, if this revival Asbury, since it's been going on for so long, uh, it must just be something else, right? It's not structured because it just kind of keeps happening. But I wonder if like people are getting up because I have not looked at any of the videos. I haven't paid any attention to like the content of it. I don't know how it follows that kind of particular manipulative pattern that I'm used to. Sure. I mean, from what I understand of it, just following some of the coverage I follow, I'm not like deep, deep into it. I, there's like two or three journalists who cover stuff like this that I trust. And I, I try to stick with them, but it seems from what they're saying that this is sort of not um, this is unstructured. This is not like a produced by say the university or our particular group. Like it's uh, people are kind of coming in and out and, and there's this sort of just this constant 
music and constant praying and like it's just not going dark right right Um, and there's no celebrities that have come in and kind of taken over like i've heard that like some some evangelical celebrities have like dropped by to like see it and participate but none of them have been like platformed which is right it is interesting yeah different people like sean what's his name who seemed to have appeared out of nowhere during the trump era sean starts with an f his last name He's a music guy and he's a Christian insurrectionist and Yeah, uh, it rings a bell. Let me see if I can find him while you talk. Uh but but like he's he's made comments about it and has sort of attempted to be there. Sean's has, that's right. Yeah. And and like they're not they're not really giving him the time of day, at least in terms of like a hierarchical like role, right? And like people are making comments on it, and and you know it's it's one of those bananas things where it's like you have the sort of fundamentalist Baptist discourse, which is well, Asbury is a den of liberal hypocrisy, so there can't be <laughs> right. any there can't be any revival there. They they let women talk. I mean, the Holy yeah. Spirit the Holy Spirit is not with them. We all know that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or or. Uh, you know, the kind of sort of deep progressive response, which is if we're not literally ushering in the socialist utopia, there's no such thing as a revival, which I find, which I find disingenuous because there's no such thing as a socialist utopia. There've been far more revivals than there have been socialist utopias guys. Um, (laughs) But but that's fine. Um, Yeah. I mean, we, we talked, we spent time talking about it and my, my opinions haven't really changed. Like, there nothing is pure under the sun and so trying to cast the revival as non-political not sort of fueled by um uh different things like culture wars or whatever is 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 untrue i mean is it fabricated by fox news no that's a good thing i'm glad it's not but but it's still put on and and led by people who are certainly not ideologically innocent, you know? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I have no idea who planned the initial event yet. Like I, I just don't know enough about the people, but I guess like my, my most generous read of it is there are definitely people there who are like caught up in the moment and there is something emotional happening, maybe also something spiritual happening. I also know that like there are people there who are like looking to see who they can like make future marks out of just knowing who is like in this space. And then there are other people who probably want to be like a talking head talking about it, you know, and like Mm -hmm. gain whatever type of, social political capital off of the fact that like a revival is happening at this conservative university but like at the very least the like atmosphere around it is we are good bible believing people who are like having worship time together and that that puts you in a particular category (laughs) it like for good or for ill like that we just understand that you are coming from a particular background from a particular background and you respond or you're responding to this in this particular way where you want this to be kind of ongoing. Like your, your concept of God is such that God is honored by this ongoing worship service. And that's a particular concept of God that like can be challenged and and dealt with. So yeah, I, I agree with you on, on this, of course, but like there could be a generous way to, uh, to talk about it. 
Yeah. But you have sent me a, a screenshot from uh, the Progressive Methodist Facebook group, <laughs> um, yes. which I, it just it tickles me. I I was just talking with some people about like resources that are available for clergy and every and people are like, well, there's plenty of groups out there that are available. And I'm like, I most the majority of clergy Facebook groups are uh terrible (laughs) and the majority of facebook groups centered around christianity are horrifying so no i'm not in this group but yeah do you want to tell do you want to describe what the screenshot is and then we can go through it point by point i can so i want to i want to make a couple of things clear i do not i am not a part of the progressive methodist facebook group there is always a chance that what we are reading is not from there true and so keep that in mind keep that in mind but uh, it is a list, a, a fairly comprehensive list of things that the author of this list would say uh, would co- be cause for concern if a revival is based off of or promotes the following list of ideas. That's what it says. Yeah. Um, and... Um, you know, there are moments <laughs> we will actually read them. There are moments in my time, in my in my life, in my faith, in my encounters with Christian people where I have questioned everything. Mm-hmm. Where I question every every way in which I identify myself. Right? Like I I for a long time have had no problem identifying as a progressive. And I of course will continue to identify that way. I'm I'm pro- pretty sure. I don't think this will stop me. But if this comes from a group of progressive Methodists, then, you know, we've crossed into just total nonsense, right? Like we've crossed into right. we've crossed into a, 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 a caricature of ourselves. Um, and then we've embraced that caricature and said, actually, no, all of this sounds great. And the only people who can come up with stuff like this are, if it's true, you know, and, and heartfelt, are um, ex-evangelicals who, who are too afraid to let go of heaven. Right. Um, and so they attempt to kind of craft a new form of Christianity that has never existed um, in an attempt to both still get to go to heaven, if on the off chance it's real, while uh, getting to kind of live in this sort of live in the space that maybe they'd be more comfortable living in. I don't know. Um, uh, that's, that's frankly my gen- the most generous read I can, I can give it because this would be a list of things that non-religious people would probably find really strange coming from a religious person. Yeah. That's also, that's part of my take on it too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like this is we could we couldn't. Uh, and like I said, listeners, we'll we'll read the list here in just a second. But like, this is my my kind of pre thinking. Like, this is not a lit. There is a version of progressive of Christian of progressive Christian that thinks like this. They say there must be a way to present the truth of the gospel to non religious people, um, in a way that does not, you know force them to have to adopt the lingo right right like and i think i don't think that's a misguided endeavor i actually think most of the best uh christian theologians on the planet historically 
start from that space, right? Where they say, well, how can we, how can we authentically speak the gospel to people without relying on the terminology that you need to be in an inside group to understand? Right, right. Right. Like that's a version of progressive Christian that I, I think, um, I think is is worthwhile. It's a worthwhile uh, endeavor, right? Like Schleiermacher does that. That's Schleiermacher's entire premise behind his systematics is how can we how can we say the truth of the gospel and speak it to this new secular space that's never existed before? Mm-hmm. You know, like like the University of Berlin, which he's teaching out of, was the first uh, university, at least in Germany that that did not identify with a religious tradition hmm. you know it was this it was this uh when it was formed it was this sort of on purpose secular space and so schleiermacher even though he taught theology there was obliged to to write a systematics for the university for for the people of the university of berlin um uh, that would that would make sense within the interdisciplinariness of that university. That's why he leans on early psychology. It's why he leans on um, uh, 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 social theories of the human being and non metaphysical readings. Right, like he he does that because the this is his way of writing authentic Christian theology for a secular space. Um, I think that's great. But that's not what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. You know, in this, in my opinion, this list is just sort of a. Well, the list is very thoughtless, in my opinion. I, I'm not entirely sure what what they're going with. They appear to be attempting to create a, a, a form of Christianity that is indistinguishable from uh, your your basic run of the mill neoliberalism. Yeah, it's very moral therapeutic deism. Like if right. you were to remove all the things on this list, you would be left without um, some of the stuff that like makes Christianity recognizable to non-Christians. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And also, if I may, it, it, taking some of this stuff out, uh, and this is, I think, and and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the list listeners, like, one of the things I try to teach my students at James Madison uh, is to help them think, help, help them realize that it is possible for like religious thought to provide a critical edge in our thinking in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's not that the, the, the secular realm is critical and religious thought is archaic and traditional and forces us in these boxes. It's not that it doesn't do that. It, it can just like anything can, but like I do my best to, to expose my students to perspectives that say, Hey, the reason why Dorothy Zola can invent a term like Christofascism is in part because she buys the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. She, mm-hmm. she believes in it. She imbibes that story then, and, and, and it has transformed her life. Like part of the reason why she's able to envision new kinds of community is precisely because she is a part of church communities. It's not because she's, she's just this like super 
impressive secular thinker who happens to like Jesus. That's that's not it at all. It's the same thing with like folks like Dorothy Day or folks like William Stringfellow or even folks like Martin Luther King, right? Like like their their Christianity, their their faith, their their tradition gives them critical um uh, gives them a critical edge when approaching the world and are in fact able to perhaps at times see things that we fail to see about ourselves right um, right precisely because of this that's why Nie- that's why Niebuhr is still powerful even among undergrads because Niebuhr says there is a lie there is a grand lie that you've been told which is that the world is your oyster and that you can do anything when we cannot and in fact, it, it, the human being's attempt to do whatever it wants results in the raping and pillaging of the earth, colonialism, <laughs> and all right, of these things. Right. And Niebuhr says that, and Niebuhr is able to come to that conclusion because of the Christian tradition that, that teaches him, that teaches us and him that human beings are finite and fallible and limited and are in need, you know, and that, that, that our endeavors are not ultimate. There, there will always be um, be smaller than what we imagine them to be, and any attempt to make them ultimate always results in sin. Right, right, yeah. I mean, this is the the problem with both the secular way of viewing the prophets as like weirdos in the desert who have who who are who are crazy religious people and the evangelical way of viewing the prophets which is people who are just pointing to jesus like the actual texts of the prophets are people who out of their like deep and important and profound faith and out of their love for the people around them and their tradition and the world that they understand to be made by god are criticizing the ways in which we are destroying one another and the world you know like it's um the prophets are a weird thing for most people who haven't done biblical scholarship. But I think like, because we have such a dearth of knowledge about the prophets, we are not prepared to see religious people as having the ability to be prophetic. That is critical. Right, right. And so I say all of that because this list, um, if insofar as it is a real honest list, presented by people who would identify themselves as progressive Methodists. Um, this list is is essentially a call to de... Uh, I apologize for the analogy, to defang the Christian witness. Hmm. And, and it's a call to say, mm, whatever critical edge Christianity can give us is not worth it. And instead, we there there is something more and better that we should be focusing on. I'm not entirely sure what that more and better thing is, right? Like, I still happen to think that it's not possible to uphold human dignity for all people without some form of appeal to natural law. I don't think it's possible to do it at least not in any sustained way, right? Like eventually somebody will continue to ask the question, yeah, but why? And somebody will have to just be like, because I fucking said so. Right. You know? Or because <laughs> right? I know it to be true. Yeah. Right, right. Because it was revealed to me in a dream because whatever. <laughs> right? Everyone's like, favorite footnote, yeah. Everyone's favorite footnote from Hanser's von Balthazar, right? <laughs> like, like, 
this this truth was revealed to me in a dream. Yes, thank you, Hans. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but but like but I I do think that right. I'm not saying a thorough, you know, a a, a full throated appeal to Aquinian natural law. That's not what I'm saying. But like right. w- without without some form of appeal to there is a deep moral structure to existence. Um, in some way, how do you uphold things like? poor people or people like how do you do it without without just applying you know like a form of nihilistic power to the situation without just saying well there's nothing to demand that poor people are people that's why we're just going to force it right and we're just going to keep forcing it all the way up until we we win and Mm -hmm. then and then what are we going to teach our children simple we will we will just teach our children to just follow the blind truth that is what we've decided it's going to be right like i don't i don't mean to sound kind of tinfoil hatty here i just don't understand how else morality works you know it's either a divine command or it's ingrained in the natural order those are the two options Right. Like, like it's, it's either, and by divine command, I mean either command from God or command from the Fuhrer or command from whatever. <laughs> right. Like it's, uh, if we just say Jews are bad because the Fuhrer said so, that's the answer. Right. And then we move on. Right. Like, but without any full throated appeal to um, some form of natural law, there's no real way to combat that. Except by just saying no, and then trying to kill the Fuhrer and then establishing a new Fuhrer, right? That's more sympathetic. I don't know. I, I'm sorry to, to go down this road when really I just want to talk about these points because I think they're they're funny. Okay, let's do um, it. All right, let's do it. So I would be con- so here's a list. I would be concerned about any quote unquote revival that is based upon or promotes the following ideas. What is the first truly heinous idea? Well, the first, <laughs> the first truly horrible idea that if you're, if you have, and if your revival promotes is quote unquote, God, which I love what we might say, God, <laughs> God as an outside agent who is needed to bring change. I, yeah, I saw this and I, when you sent it to me, I was like, oh, let, this sounds like it might be interesting. Like, here we go. And then I was like, what? <laughs> what? So I, um, I think that, uh, there is the, like, uh, the hardest version of, um, uh, uh, total depravity, which is that we cannot do any good thing on our own. God is the only one who can bring about good things. And so any good thing we do is done through God's power. We are powerless on our own to do good because we are completely and totally depraved. Or at least like that's the way I've heard it kind of described. And so I feel like this, several of these points together are, are trying to combat that like very pushing, pushing the idea of total depravity to its complete limit version of things and then like i have heard that in my life like i have been told in my life that you can do nothing good it is only god within you that does good things um 
And that's not theologically what I think. And like the idea here is that like change would be a positive change. And so any positive thing that needs to happen is God who is outside of us and greater than us is the only one who can bring about good. And I'm realizing now as I say this, that I don't know what I actually think about this. Like I I do, I, I must think that God works with us. And that like God's goodness is within us and God can inspire within us, us to work toward greater goodness and to change. But also like, don't we have some will? Could we not just do good things? Sure, sure. Um, I mean, this is why, if I may defend the Wesleyan synthesis for a second, like, like this is why Wesley has a thoroughgoing doctrine of provenient grace. Right. In which he he opens up a space, a limited space, but a space nonetheless to say prior to all of our wills, prior to all of our actions, uh, God has has taken a divine initiative to free our wills so that we can have a limited space of 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 actual like like positive action. And um, I think that that makes sense, you know, and I don't see why I have a hard time seeing why this why somebody would really dislike that notion, like Mm. uh, other than other than that, they just really rather there be no God, which is which I suppose is fine. But I uh, I've I've read too much Niebuhr and I've read too much like work on the demonic and stuff like that to 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 have a romantic feeling that human beings, if we just try hard enough, can accomplish our utopia goals. Right. You know what I mean? And and so I just, I just am not, I, I personally am, am, am not moved by that belief. I am not moved by, by the strength of the human spirit or the human will. Right. Like I'm just not, that's just not there. You know, Arthur McGill talks about this as the way of optimism and the way of optimism in, in his in his essay on the demonic. And, and he's like, and the way of optimism historically has failed every time. Like, like yeah. it just has. I mean, I mean, there is when when they set out to create a country, they didn't set out to create the countries that are there. You know, all things that human beings have created are not only imperfect, but evil in a really important sense, perpetuate evil. Are they all evil? Are they a hundred percent evil? No, you know, but like every single country on the planet is founded on violence. Yeah. You know, every single organization on the planet is founded on some kind of taking of resources from somebody else. Every single, you know, human beings are locked in relationships of competition simply because we are finite beings and I'm not able to occupy the exact same space as you are, Joe. Yeah. I, I, I follow all that. I, I don't know. I don't know how much I would use it as an organizing principle for my life just because there, there is in fact abundance. And I understand that like, Yes, we cannot occupy the same space. Yes, there are, in many cases, limited resources. But like, actually, no, the Earth Earth produces enough for us if we were all to only take what we needed. Um, but, but that's but, but I you, I think that's my point. Like okay. like human beings historically do not do that. 
in small pockets, sure. But like, but but the more we think of it this way, if the organizing principle is the kingdom of God, there has never been a kingdom of God on earth. Right. There right. is there has been little outposts. There has been small refuges. There's even been non-Christian refuges of the kingdom of God, right? As we look at indigenous cultures and stuff like that. But when but we're not talking about we're not talking about small outposts. We're talking every human being on planet Earth is now going to share in the Earth's abundance without a selfish desire to take more without uh, an insecurity that there isn't enough, you know, with, with a full, this is why I think if I, that's why I think Niebuhr's view of the human being is so ironclad. The simple fact that we're finite beings means it's not possible for us to have universal knowledge. It's impossible for a finite creature to put themselves in the shoes of 8 billion people. It's not possible. We will always have a remainder. We will always have a limitation that makes it difficult for us to trust someone else because we are not that person. And unless part of what salvation is, is the end of finitude, which is not, that's Gnosticism. <laughs> right. <laughs> then, then, uh, then we're not talk. We're, we're talking about, you know, we are absolutely in need of an outside agent known as God. <laughs> Just yeah. by just by a careful just by a careful reflection on human beings as finite creatures, right? Yeah, and I so so whoever wrote this list, I think they're pushing back against the idea that it is only with God's help that we can ever do anything good, even the smallest good thing. Where like I. I completely get what you're saying. And like, yes, there, there are many ways in which we will, we are incapable of forming the kingdom of God on our own. And that's why we need salvation. Right. Um, but there is, there is a like toxic view of, of the human to say that like humans will only ever do harmful things when in fact, like humans do not need to be saved by Jesus Christ in order to do good things. Sure. Yeah, I think that's sure. what his first point is. But also, yeah, like when you push it, you realize that it doesn't it does not make sense. <laughs> right, right. Like, I, I, I agree with you. Like, of course, I have seen people who are unsaved, <laughs> whatever that means. Right. That's the other thing. I'm a universalist. I don't even know what it means to be unsaved. Right. Um, uh, uh, and frankly, if, if Wesley were here, like maybe his doctrine of provenient grace, he would push back on that too well well all people because of the actions that god has taken are capable of 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 a legitimate freedom of will to choose what is good maybe not to choose god but but to possibly choose some form of limited good and i'd go sure i think that makes sense but uh but i see what you're saying i understand that this person is probably pushing back on that toxic version um, the, right. the, the problem is, is once again, I, I, I struggle with seeing how it is relevant in the grand scheme of things. Yes, I have the ability to say no to stealing someone's shit on a regular <laughs> basis. Uh, congratulations, I, I do. 
I lack the ability to say to to ultimately say no to Coca-Cola. Sure. Right? And and so so it's not a a terrible thing in and of itself. Yeah, sure. But like, uh, I'm just, I'm just trying to demonstrate that. And which brings me to the second point. The second point that if you believe this, everything is lost is human beings as weak and powerless and in need of divine intervention. Um, sure. In, in terms of, as long as we're not talking about how we're walking bags of shit and blood, you know, and that because of that, why bother with morality, right? Because right. we're nobodies. Um, I can understand why this point is pushing back on that. That being said, talk me through our realm of power. Like, like, show me. I would want to. I would want to know uh, to what degree are we powerful, right? And and whether or not it matters, you know. Um, because isn't that the whole point of, of liberation? Isn't that the whole point of the Marxist critique of capitalism? That that human beings are fundamentally enslaved? Like we we actually even even the 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 choice that capitalism bases itself on, that human beings make rational choice, even that is a myth because it's all fabricated under capital. Yeah. Uh, human beings as weak and powerless in need of divine intervention. I mean, I think I, I just, I think that part of being a Christian is acknowledging that you are in need of God. I feel like I'm, I'm like in AA, you are in need of help. Like you cannot in fact be as good as you want to be. You cannot be the person who saves the world, right? You cannot bring about the kingdom on your own because we're just not capable of it. And I mm-hmm. like, I would want to say that like, we are capable, capable of like interpersonal goodness. I think we are probably capable of stewarding small sections of creation and making small communities together that are like more or less fine. Like I, I I think that's fine, but I, but I do agree that like, once you go beyond the, like the 20 to like 50 person range of a group, it becomes very difficult to, to be doing anything that is systemically good just because there's, there's always the temptation to power. There's, there are just like aspects of um, maybe how we're all socialized, but like maybe just how how nature functions. I don't know, like how evolution functions. I don't know the, the origin of it, but like there is always a temptation to power. There is always a temptation to exploit. There is always the temptation to, to do harm. Um, and so, and we all fall victim to that, you know, like that's, uh, I feel I, this is, this is where I'm like going, this is actually driving me a little nuts in the brain because like we all sin. And I think that needs to be acknowledged and we are all tempted towards sin. And I think that needs to be acknowledged and not sin only as like sexual sin, but sin as like uh, having like letting letting your temper get get the better of you and saying something unkind, or um, uh, uh, not showing up for something that was really important to somebody else because you just didn't want to, 
or, you know, or, or any type of like abuse where it's just an easier way to get power. Like, I think we all have that within us. And so we all need to name that. And also there are many ways to struggle against that temptation. But like one of the reliable ways that I have found to struggle against that temptation is to remind myself that like, I am beloved of God and can choose to be different, you know, which is like salvation for me is like sanctification for me. Sure. Yeah. So you can't, you can't just throw out the window the idea that human beings are weak and not as powerful as we would need to be, but also like powerless is is an interesting word choice here. I don't know. Like I see, I understand that they're trying to get away from the altar call where we all go up and say, we can't do anything on our own. We need you, God. Come to us, God. You know, but also we need God. <laughs> like we are in yeah. need. I think that is just the human state. Yeah, you can't get away from it. Right. Let's go on to the next one. Intercessory prayer as a means by which to effect change. If you what? believe that, if you believe that, <laughs> this person has some concerns. Why do we do intercessory prayer if not to effect change? <laughs> I I don't know. What like then then every Sunday morning is a revival that we should be questioning. Then of course we pray for one another together intercessorily to bring about change. You we can talk about the mechanism of change all we want all day long, like that's fine. But we do it because we think it does something, or because right. we've always done it. But because we think it does something. Right. This person following our theme of trying to psychoanalyze the author of this of this list this person is probably attempting to get away from uh uh i'm gonna drop just one of my favorite words theopanism um, so so eric prejuara uh, a catholic philosopher that i have not read nearly enough to be anywhere near like somebody who can talk about him very much, <laughs> but sure. he, in his uh, arguments with Bart, um, cause they were contemporaries, um, develops, uh, uh, what he ultimately sees as like, as, as like the two approaches of Protestantism that are ultimately the same approach and why Protestantism needs to be more thoughtful about its metaphysics. Cause this is him kind of yelling at Bart. Sure. Uh, he's like, there is pantheism, and he's like, and and lots of lots of Protestants, generally on the you know Protestants who are more influenced by the Enlightenment and some other folks, but lots of Protestants subscribe to a form of pantheism, you know, even if they this is Eric Prejuar now, even if they wouldn't necessarily call it that way, but the belief that somehow our collective action, our action as creatures, can also is another word for the action of the divine, right, right. Right. Like that's how he would put it. He is, is Eric Pichuar is like, nobody actually believes that the sum total of cre of the, of the created order is God. That's not really what people are, are claiming to believe. Cause that's a myth. That's silly. That's that, that's a certain kind of mysticism that very few people uh, truly believe in, right. That, they, that when we step on grass, we are stepping on the body of the divine. Right. Like you need to have a certain kind of mystical sensibility to really grasp that. But what we do think or what we can be led to believe and, and have possibly believed is is that um, it is a in a strong sense, God has no hands but our hands. 
like like not just in a poetic or sense or in a sense in which we talk about God as the weak force that calls and lures us, but but in a but but like this is like the thinking of like of like Christian nationalism. Right, the thinking of Christian nationalism could could be boiled down. Eric Pujwara might argue to a kind of pantheism, in in which uh, God uh, wants X, but really we want X, and we'll just claim we're God anyway. And and oh, 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 no, nobody's nobody's really asking. So, like in Christian nationalism, nobody's really asking if God wants to establish a theocratic state. Why doesn't God just? lightning strike people when right. God just pillar assault people instead we're all the Christian nationalists already work under the assumption that they are the hands and feet of God and that God is actually doing nothing and the only thing that that is happening is the machinations of Christian nationalism right and and we're just doing it otherwise they would just be like the list suggests locked in intercessory prayer right and yeah. and they wouldn't be doing anything. So that's that's like Eric Pujoir's understanding of pantheism. Eric Pujoir accuses Bart of what he calls theopanism, which is the belief uh, that that uh, we and, and he he phrases it the same way and on purpose. He's like the belief that that our hands are God's hands, and he's like if it sounds like it's the same definition, it is. It's just that the emphases are different. Hmm. But in in pantheism. Uh, we begin with creation and in theopanism, we begin with God. And we say a, a theopanism would say the only thing that is real is God. We creatures are, are only, we have no actual dignity of ourselves. We have no actual sphere of freedom or sphere of will. We are merely the products of God's will and intention. Uh, and and for Pejuari, he calls it a kind of theopanism, and, and he's like, and functionally, it creates the same fruit, you know, we're, we of our belief that everything we're doing is divinely inspired and divinely oriented. It 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 it, it, it denies um, the a dignity of creatureliness to us. Both things actually do, because on one hand we have to be God for each other, and on the other hand we're already just God, and that's it. Um, yes. And, and yeah. so there's, and so Prishwara kind of takes boy takes these two things and attempts to to argue for a, a, a certain kind of Christian metaphysics that 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 grants creatures real autonomy while still finding their source and end in God, um, and he just has a problem because he doesn't think Protestants do that enough. And he's probably right. Um, but, but who knows? Why, I, do I, why do I bring that up? I think it goes hand in hand with why uh, uh, something like intercessory prayer, you know, people have a problem with that um, because either there's, you know, we, there's the sense among probably the more progressive group, right. Where that, that, that is written this. Um, there's no reason to pray to God because we do it ourselves. And so intercessory prayer is dumb. On the other hand, if we were more of a very conservative kind of theopanistic kind of approach, it would sort of be the same thing. There'd be no reason to do intercessory prayer. We just simply have to be obedient and just go forward and do whatever God intends for us. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupted you. 
No, yeah, you're good. I think so. What I I I tried very hard to follow all that. <laughs> and I'm I sorry. Think, no, no, no. It, that's not that's not your fault. That is my fault because we have we catapulted my brain into a different level than it was ready for on Sunday night. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I so what I get from that, or 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 kind of my takeaway is that um, the only way to talk about humanity's ability to create good or to make decisions like for ourselves is to talk about it within within the framework of fallenness or corruption or whatever like to or or at the very least to admit weakness um yeah and to say like i I want this thing to happen. I am convinced that this is in the will of God. The only way that you can really, truly, honestly walk forward and say, this is the will of God is to acknowledge that like in your frailty, you may have misunderstood something, but like, because of your experience, your conviction, your learning, your community, because of all the other ways that we can connect to God. I think there's probably a reasonable reasonable point at which you can say this is definitely from God. Um, yeah. And, and so like you must have the first two points, right? You must have the God is something outside of us. God is not us. You must have the understanding of like human weakness and creatureliness in order to then be able to, in order to avoid us acting on behalf of God as if we fully understood God or were God. Right. Right. Uh, I, I like all of that. The only extra thing I would add before we continue is that um, it takes an embrace of freedom, of human freedom and, and creatureliness and set apartness for uh, intercessory prayer to make sense. Yes. Right, like, like, and that's what you're saying. I, 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 I want to reiterate it in, in another way, of, uh, in another way. Like, and so, the point I'm trying to make is the fact that they don't think intercessory prayer brings change uh, is is something that I think is found implicitly in both the progressive and the ultra conservative take. Mm. Um, and and I think it's one that that portrays a kind of failure to imagine both God and the human being in a creative and true way. Yeah. Um, that's what I think. I think that, I think that prayer has this, has this connotation of being about subservience and, and, and not thinking and stuff like that. But I actually think the only way prayer, only the only way prayer makes sense is if we have a fully fleshed out sense of, the dignity of the human creature, the set apartness, exactly what kind of freedom we have, what kind of agencies we possess, you know, and, and only when we've established those things, does prayer make sense at all as being a product of freedom than a product of human agency. Um, it's not a, it's not a taking away of human agency. The logic of prayer only makes sense if humans are already agents. Right. Um, and that's uh, why this is why I find this list unthoughtful. It comes from it comes from a place. It comes from this place of wanting to overcorrect, but it's done in such a thoughtless way 
that that we end up just talking nonsense. What non-religious person would hear this and go, "Wow, sounds great." Yeah, I like and I know that this comes from maybe somebody who's been to a healing service and people pray intercessorily for like physical healing in ways that are ableist and not helpful. Or like somebody who, who, um, I mean, all of us have witnessed like thoughts and prayers, right? So intercessory prayer to end gun violence, uh, is, is not helpful because like we asking God to come down and take away our guns is not the solution. We can just have better gun legislation, (laughs) you know, like, Yeah, it's it is. I under again with all of these points so far, I understand why somebody might say something like this, but I agree. Like, it they are taking away by framing it in the ways that they have framed it, they are taking away huge swaths of like Christian practice that is actually helpful. I I agree. Here, let's go on because uh, there's a couple bit more, and at least one of them I know we're going to want to talk a bit about. Um, conversion to Jesus as a prerequisite for participation. I find all of I find this one to be the most ridiculous of them all. Not because I disagree with it the most, but because it's a made up problem. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a you know what I mean. It's totally made up. The idea, first of all, the idea that a shit ton of people who do not believe in Jesus are just begging to be included in a revival. In a revival. Is is completely made up. Second of all, of course it's not a prerequisite. Right. You're coming to the revival (laughs) to get saved. Like the idea is that you're not converted. Right. Right. What is just, I just find that one, that one's just plain nonsense. That's just somebody who says, who's just admitting that they don't, they don't terribly find Jesus interesting already, which is, which is fine. Like I'm not, I don't care, but come on, don't join the progressive Methodist page then. Yeah. Um, Yeah, No. How, how on earth are we saying that it's a red flag for a revival if conversion is a prerequisite? When like the whole point of the revival is that people who are not converted to Jesus will eventually convert. Like it just, it misunderstands. Uh, maybe, maybe this person is using revival in a completely different sense than, than we are. I like, I'm thinking of the event. I'm not thinking about like a sweeping change across the nation. I, I this is odd. It, it, it's an odd one. Yeah. It's an odd one. I, I, I don't know what to make of it. Next focusing on quote, personal relationship with God as understood in the framework of Christian theism. You see, this one makes me think this is a made up list. Yeah. Um, Because I don't like, like it just removing the entire notion of any kind of personal God as articulated by Christianity. That's the plan. The plan is the I have a problem with revival if it is even remotely Christian in any way. <laughs> okay, guys. Yeah, I. It's a weird way to phrase it. I mean, like we have talked endlessly about how like your personal relationship with Christ, with God, is is a weird focus that we have in the United States as like a product of evangelicalism and Protestantism and blah, blah, blah. Like we just don't know how to be the church together because we're focused on our personal relationship exclusively. Right. But 
but <laughs> as understood in the framework of Christian theism, I like, why would you say that? Why could, if they, if they just said focusing on a personal relationship with God makes, sends up a red flag for me. Okay. Exclusively focusing on that. That's fine. Like that's also a qualm that I have about the evangelical conferences, etc. But in the framework of Christian theism. Like, why do you feel the need to add that? That's, that does not say anything. It only confuses me. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it's worded strange. And here's the thing. I feel like it's worded wrongly. I feel like this person wrote it out and was like, mm, yeah, sure. But I don't think this is what they mean. I think yeah. they're I think they're trying to get at like a particular way of thinking about God. I think that's what they're trying to say when they say Christian theism. Like like classical theism, right? Like like uh or um a a a personalist theism in which God is a grand person, right? Like like maybe this person is trying to say, mm, personal relationship with God as understood by these ways of thinking about it, I have a problem with. We need to be more open or more general or, or whatever. Um, that's what this says to me. Um, but that's not what the words say. Right. The, word, the words say any um, any basically any Christian conception of God we need to throw out. Yeah, it's yeah, it's weird. It feels like um, it feels like a seminary student writing a paper. You know, like a a kind professor would circle this and be like, "Say more." <laughs> you know, <laughs> then you yeah. could get to the actual thing they're trying to say. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange, very strange. If if uh, Corey was here, Kendall Sullen would have uh, circled that and been like, "What are you trying to say, Corey?" Um, <laughs> If Which I can I, get a hold, if I get a hold of Corey's first systematic paper, we will read it on air uh, because it is. And Corey will very, know because he'll, he'll never know because he never listens. <laughs> It'll be very funny because because when I read it, uh, and when he was like, "You gave me a C," and I'm kind of mad, and then I read it and I was like, "Oh, Corey, this is dreadful. <laughs> this is this is bad." <laughs> At one point, he says, "I think Pelagius was really neat." <laughs> and, and then like and like kendall had to circle it he was like pelagius the heretic what the fuck are you talking about and he's like oh sorry i mean like out of all of the heretics pelagius is not a bad one to follow but at the same time you're writing a systematic paper like for, know your audience <laughs> right yeah know your audience Corey. go for it i kept interrupting you and i'm sorry i know i don't think you did on this one i think i'm ready to read the next one all right uh Retreating from society into large Christian gatherings as a sign or indication of a significant or life-altering event. Uh, this is one that, that enrages me to read because it's so pretentious. Um, but, I, but I understand what they're getting at. I actually don't understand what they're getting at. So retreating from society into large Christian gatherings is a sign or indication of a significance or significant or life altering event. If Christianity were a cult and somebody was just retreating into the cult and not talking to their family anymore, which like there are some segments of Christianity that are cults. That's fine. Cult, not in as a re new religious tradition, but as in, there's a one leader who is manipulating the entirety of these, these people, like I, I, I could see that as a bad thing, but like, if you are somebody who 
is new to Christianity and is excited about it and like on fire for it and like really wants to like get into this thing of course you're going to like retreat into christian spaces of course you're going to seek out gatherings with other christians to like learn things like if if you if you for the first time heard about christianity it clicked with you it is like re it's igniting something within you like yeah you're gonna go do all this that to me is not like Oh man, you got to worry about that person. That's just like somebody exploring faith for the first time. Right? Oh, I I agree with you. I agree with you. I think he, they're just trying to get at like uh, the 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 phenomenon of revival itself being a what what is the most important thing here is that ten thousand Christians gathered for the creation festival today, like like and there's no fruit or nothing that comes out of that, like like the focus on just the gathering, the retreating into just the gathering as a sign or indication of a significant or life altering event, uh, as opposed to like the influx of Christian worship and the civil rights movement, which, which might be understood not in this way as uh, a religious event that does not involve retreating, but going out. Sure. I think that's what he's getting at. I just think it's written like shit. It's funny that you that you assumed it was a he. I've been assuming it was a she the whole time. So apparently we're just ready to attribute bad theology to our own genders. <laughs> we just have to assume. I just I read this. I was like, this is clearly written by like a progressive man who is is attempting to impress the the bisexual girl he's interested in. <laughs> um, like, yeah, I read I, it as like an outraged bisexual girl like, <laughs> make a claim in the world who knows but that's uh, actually that's actually it's, it's the same thing it's pantheism and theopanism <laughs> uh, we've done it we've figured it out okay right. so then the next one kind of like goes dovetails with this worship services as a means by which to cause lasting life transformation this makes me want to throw my hands up in the air because I have been to so many worship services that have been a means of transforming my life. Right. <laughs> like, it is, it's not that like every Sunday needs to be transformative. Not that like every gathering needs to be transformative. Like we started by talking about how manipulative it can be, but like, I, it's not a bad thing when worship is a transformative moment in your life. I, what? What? Right. Yeah, this is a person who, uh, this is an ex-evangelical who does not believe in any of this stuff, but is still reflexively very afraid of hell. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, I think that's a phenomenon. I actually think that's the ex-evangelical phenomenon in a nutshell. Um, if, if you, if you leave the evangelical church, this is would be my hot take for the day. If you leave the evangel, if you leave evangelicalism and you don't join like, like another, either another faith tradition or another, uh, um, more mainline or historical version of the Christian faith, and you just become an ex evangelical, you know, kind of the standard package, this describes you pretty well. Yeah. You know, like, like you still want to be able, able somehow to claim the name, I am a Christian, mostly because of the trauma you experienced surrounding hell. And you, you can't quite let that go. You can't quite do it, which I understand. 
but you really just don't care for any of this stuff. You don't, you'll, you never want to sit in a worship service again. You don't want to hear a single person talk to you about Jesus. Thinking about God frustrates and annoys you. Like, like all that's fine. I get why, but then just leave the space. Don't stay because you're afraid to to stay, to, to leave, just leave. Yeah. Yeah. If none of this is real, then have it be not real. Like I, I get frustrated. My main problem with ex-evangelicals, of which I'm, I'm not really one. I've deconstructed parts of it, but I'm, I wasn't really an evangelical in the first place, not really. But like my problem with, with the your typical run-of-the-mill, you know, kind of online edgy ex-evangelical, is how I don't know. It, it, we're talking about we're talking about God and ultimacy and human meaning. And yes, of course you are, you have been hurt and we understand that we, and we have to repent over that, but you have no sympathy. You have no ability to, to empathize or sympathize with folks who are just trying to get to the bottom of life. Right. Right. Like like that you would, that you would make these grand sweeping bananas ideas. Like, worship services are dumb. And I'm like, well, obviously worship, ser- I understand why you are frustrated and hurt over your time in worship, but surely you can think about another person. Yeah. Uh, you know, longer than a second. And you can imagine that some other person would not feel this way. And that that particular person who does not feel this way isn't a crazy person. Right. You know, it's just a normal person. <laughs> and so worship services can't cause lasting life transformation. And if you believe that, I'm concerned with you. Jesus, brother. Like, like yeah. then get the fuck out of my Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I like... I know I have watched, right? Like I was a camp counselor at a non-denominational Christian summer camp. Like I have seen children go forward for the altar call because like the worship service manipulated them. And I will spend like years of my life repenting for that. But, but like not every worship service is that service. You know, not every worship service is a moment that is trying to manipulate children into being afraid of hell and giving their life to a church. You know, like that's just not that's just not what it is. Uh, Yeah, you're right. Like step outside of that moment of uh, out of that time of hurt for a second and understand that there are so many more Christians than evangelical Christians and that we do worship for a reason. In theory, every time you come up to the communion table is a transformative act in your life, right? Like, right. And we progressives love our communion, right? It's you, you are supposed to come to this table having like done work to make yourself right with the others that are around you and in your life so that you can like participate in this moment with Jesus. And even if you haven't fully done that, Jesus still shows up and that should be transformative. I, yeah, it, it, it is a weird line to draw. It, it is an un, un, um, yeah, uncritical line to have drawn. Yeah, it is. And, and not to, you know, not, not to like go back on some of the stuff I said earlier about, not needing to be converted to be to participate or stuff like that. Like we've now what frustrates me about this list is we've we've actually uh, seemed to have crossed into two different like 
like spaces. One is the revival space where this person doesn't want, you know, certain kinds of theology and certain perspectives on, on people, you know, within the revival space. Fine, whatever. I might disagree, but I, I understand that. But now we've, we're at worship. Right. And now, now we're, we're hearing a critique about an internal practice of the faith from somebody who is, who both wants to be outside and inside. And this is where I have a problem. Right. Like this person clearly doesn't, you know, this, if this person wants to get, wants to not talk about God as an agent who brings change, then I think it's safe to say that this person doesn't really care all that much about Jesus. Right. Like, I think, I I think we're fine with that. I think that's fine. Well, then what, what gives this person a right to make a claim about all forms of Christian worship? Yeah. You know, like, like that's all I, I'd like to say. I think that the public-facing aspects of any religious tradition are up for any critique from anybody, and we shouldn't get mad at that. I think that bad critiques should be challenged. Like, if I hear another Richard Dawkins critique, I'll jump off a bridge. Like, I'll smack him. <laughs> you know, like, like you, the, the critiques are bad, Richard. You know, nobody respects them. But, like, but the the private elements or, or rather the in-group elements, the, the, the stuff that isn't public facing, the stuff that, uh, that, that you need to be able to sign your name to in order to do right. Like we, that's why we don't just let anybody be baptized anywhere and on a whim, you know, it, it's, it's why it, it's why even though communion is an open and free gift, we don't, we, we, we always frame what communion is so that people right. don't just get to come up and decide what it is, right? Like, like those inward things, you need to be an insider to critique them well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if this person wants to be both, then already there's a, a problem with the list. How, 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 how does this person feel that they have the authority to kind of speak to both things? And once again, remember, no, I'm not saying you can't critique Christianity. Critique it all you want. Understand that unless you are prepared to make the difference between white Christianity and Christianity in general, you're just critiquing a black and brown person's religion. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. And if you're prepared to do that, fine, but keep that in mind. The overall majority of Christians are not white. <laughs> right. And, and, and so if your real problem is with white evangelicals, then do yourself a favor and not look like a fool. Right. And say that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like the majority of people who hurt you are probably white evangelicals or white Christians. Like I fully, I will name them and name that, but it's still something that it helps to make explicit that you were talking about your experience in the white church that has manipulated you in these ways. Or if it's something that like you've seen happen more broadly, like I'm happy to criticize the purity movement, not based on just my own experience, but like on the the wide variety of experiences of people who have been hurt by it. Um, But like, I also still know who I'm talking to and I'm very specific about it or I try to be at least speaking of not being specific though. Do you want to read the last point? Oh God. (laughs) The, the most nonsensical one of all Bible teaching slash preaching as an authoritative means by which to change individuals or society. 
you know why this drives me nuts is because I, as a progressive, have had to do so much work trying to find those places in the Bible that help me understand my new faith better. And I reach to Bible verses to um, to talk about the reasons behind why I do what I do and why I believe what I believe, right? And it's also... Maybe this person completely rejects the Wesleyan quadrilateral, and that's fine. But like United Methodists do not. And Bible teaching is the bedrock of the quadrilateral. <laughs> like if you're in a progressive Methodist Facebook group and you want to be like, man, the Bible, we just need to toss it out. That's a that's a big take. And I don't know that everybody there is going to jump on board with that one. Right. Other than other than the nonsensical notion that like a Christian group should just toss the Bible out. Guys, that's just something that fundamentalist Baptists say about anyone who isn't them. Right. No no Christian, no actual Christian. Um Marxists or capitalists and anywhere in between thinks that it's a good idea to throw the Bible out. And in fact, by and large, they all have the same reasons for why because they believe that it is authoritative about telling them who God is. Authoritative now, not the authority, but right. authoritative, right? It means it's because they've once read the Bible and were deeply moved. It's because they it's because they derive morality and a sense of the human person from the Bible. Every uh, actual Christian, and all by actual I just mean people who take what the that they're Christians seriously, and every Christian, no matter what, does not want to throw the Bible out. Not really. And so I don't understand this. I don't, I don't, I'm baffled by this, especially this second part, by a means to change individuals or society. What does he think the Bible is about? <laughs> right. <laughs> What are you talking about, buddy? Also, if you're not, if it's not based on the Bible, if it's not based on preaching and religious tradition, Christian tradition, you know, like if it's not based on the Bible, if it's not based on something that a Christian has said, then like, what is the authoritative source? Yeah, exactly. Just myself. and My and, own and, experience of God. That's what cult leaders say. <laughs> Right, like, oh man, be careful, Joe. You might be, you might become an Orthodox. That would be weird. Would be <laughs> I don't weird. know. Ian says that you and I are the most Orthodox people he knows. So, <laughs> well, I'd like to hold on to that because in my world, Orthodox is just another way of saying correct. <laughs> but like, it's to me, it's just ridiculous. And I think that this last one not only demonstrates what you're saying, like a rejection of the entire Methodist quadrilateral, a rejection of the way in which Christians even approach the Bible historically for 2000 years. Um, it's also stupid. Where does this person get their ideas of changing individuals and society? Yeah. Like where does, where does this person get it? Has, does this person has, we've just, they've just never read the sermon on the Mount. They've never read the prophets. They've never, like that's just they don't they're not aware that's in there. Do they get it from, you know, people who have read it? Like like I don't know. Is this one of those weirdos who's like, I'm spiritual but not religious, which is why I like Dorothy Day. She was so cool. And then I go, Dorothy Day would smack your ass around and 
<laughs> and tell you to get out of her house. Like, right. But also, if you're spiritual but not religious, like, why are you in the progressive Methodist Facebook group, a religious Facebook group? I don't know. Joe, I just I'm so baffled by this. And and basically, you know, my my primary thing here, my, my takeaway from this whole list is if it is real, like if it is a list really produced by uh, at least a couple of people in the group and and the group itself thought it was fine to keep in there, you know, or, or whatever, then uh, I I'm routinely reminded how hard it is for me to find like an actual camp. Of what right. I think, right? Like, like you know, I, 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 I am progressive, but, but man, I really do think a lot of this theology and doctrine stuff is important. Even, even the stuff that people find boring, right? Right. So, like, I guess I'm not your, I'm not a, a progressive necessarily in that way, but maybe I am. I don't know. Um, I, I, I believe in liberation, but I, I'm not. I'm, I'm too white to call myself a liberationist. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, and I also like Niebuhr too much. So like, what am I going to do with that? You know, <laughs> like, like there's, there's too many things about me. And uh, I look at this and maybe, maybe we are in so desperate need in Methodism of another option, not just, uh, uh, you know, whatever's going on with the liberation connection, not just the, the UMC's amazing decision to maintain its centrism, but like something more, even more wings, if not another denomination, caucuses. We yeah. need to bring caucuses, something like that. You know, if, if there's really any way to, to have the big tent of Methodism represented justly, maybe we do need caucuses uh, to, to help us wield some power and have and have different influence and uh, over things. I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, we. They're just there. Yeah, I agree. There needs to be an option besides progressive or conservative or centrist, which is really just conservative. Like, yeah, there. And that's part of, um, I think, the freedom of thought that you would want from progressives, which is which is another funny thing about this post <laughs> that like it is it, it is laying out lines that are so uh, laying out boundaries that are so thick and in unable to be malleated or pass anything through that like you have just you've just boxed yourself in the same way conservatives box themselves in like with any of this like we've we've just gone through point by point and been able to say like but really is that what you mean i understand why somebody would say all of these things and i would bet actually like over the course of um uh, of my like deconstruction of my seminary journey of like my thinking about my faith i've probably said something like all of these things right sure me too but i, but I also would never have posted something like this on Facebook. Like I would never, I would have maybe thought this, I would have maybe said things like this in a conversation, but I never would have declared to the world, you know, you really need to be nervous if um, at a Christian event, people uh, are uh, preaching about the Bible, you know, I just wouldn't yeah. have that. <laughs> right. It's, it's a weird thing to hear from within the space. I think that's my thing. Right. Like it, this is a person or these, these, this is a perspective that supposedly wants to be in the group. Right. Right. And, and not only, as you said, do they want to draw thick boundaries around what the group is, 
but they want to be able to, you know, kind of pass critiques on other members of the group when they're not even prepared to play by like to, to agree on anything. Right. Like, like, what are we here for? I, I don't know. I, I, I find it frustrating and I find it to be a relatively common, but not like systematized, like attitude, you know, in some progressive circles, particularly in progressive religion. Hmm. It, it, it's not a, it's not like a full, it's not like there's a problem. It, it's, it's just a common attitude that springs up. And I think it springs up from hurt like we said, and I think it springs up from um, um, a, a kind of a strong reaction against conservatism and stuff like that. But I think that this is why, even though those even though li- political liberalism is not in vogue, it's why it's good to to like have like dialogue as a value, right? And and like it's good to have uh, uh, spaces that are on purpose open and forced dialogue forced in a way that is still respectable, but, but in which we can't just not talk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause I think that's the only way we can like figure things out and not like, not, not find a common ground. Like sometimes the common ground is still unacceptable, but like to figure things out and know what the next step is, even if the next step is we part from each other. Right. So I don't know. Long story short, listeners, I do not support that list. I think it's a dumb <laughs> list. I I think however you cut it, it's it's rather silly. And and I hope that if it is real, that the person who posted it has the courage to just leave Christianity behind them. <laughs> or like really, really think again about what is of value to them in this tradition, if anything. Because it does that sound like a lot. Right. Same thing. Joe and I have said the same thing. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, let's try that again. Friends, thanks for listening. <laughs> this has been uh, uh, an episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Ethan and Joe, and we will see you next time. Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Shomolf, performed by Joe Shomolf, Ian Oriola, and Paul Oriola, and produced by Paul Oriola. Email us at whatthehellisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to pillow talk, merch, signed cards, custom essays, and so much more. Thanks for listening. And be kind to your bodies, friends.